We have some special guests that are going to help join and lead us in worship. So the Sunshine Singer is going to come up. And I'm just going to pray for us real quick while they come up. And then we'll have y'all be seated so y'all can see them. But please bow with me. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. We come together today to worship you. We got us a great privilege to come together and join our voices together, to open your word together, to give our gifts and talents together. We got it all in praise and worship for you. We thank you for all that you do for us, for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all will be seated. Step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see the beauty that made this heart. Oh 
much for joining us. Way to go, kiddos. Isn't it awesome to see our kids singing about Jesus? Man, that is exciting. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are thankful that you are here this morning. If this is your first time with us, we want to welcome you. Uh, delighted that you would worship with us on this Sunday in November. Man, time flies when you're having fun. Or it seems like these last eight, minutes have gone, eight months have gone really, really slow, I guess, depending on your perspective. But... Um, here we are, nevertheless. If this is your first time with us, Inside the Bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information. Uh, we would love for you to do that. On your way out, there's a place for you to drop it in out there, or you can just hand it to myself or Pastor BJ. Uh, we would greatly uh, appreciate that. Well, you probably noticed on the front of your bulletin that we get to do another child dedication today. Uh, so that is exciting. Um, and so, as I mentioned last week, as a church... Right, we recognize that parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. And so what we want to do is we want to partner with our parents and helping them make disciples who make disciples. So this morning we have Bradley and Taylor, if you all want to come on up here. And they have two boys, Mason and Logan. And so they're coming uh, to profess and acknowledge their dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ as they seek to raise uh, these precious boys. So uh, as we did last week, I'm going to turn it over to BJ, and he's going to share a little bit about their names and the significance of that.
That's for you. That's for you. Can I hold you for a second? So I shared last week that Bennett was born after COVID, so we couldn't get in. But little Logan was born before COVID, so we got to get in to see you. So he was the first little baby born since I was able to be here. There you go. Look at it. You see everybody out there? I have a Bible for you all, and I, I forgot last week to give, so I have a little Bible for you all as well. Uh, if you guys will scoot a little bit closer to me over here, we're going to, we did this last week, so you guys uh, know how this works, but uh, we just want to give them an opportunity to make some commitments uh, before us as a church, and then give you as a church an opportunity to respond um, in light of that. So uh, I'm going to ask you all some questions, if you'll just respond with, we do. Do you commit to remembering your marriage covenant? And to making your relationship a reflection of Christ and his church. Very good. Do you commit to being disciple makers in your home? Do you commit to raising Mason and Logan in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Awesome. With the help God provides, do you commit to teach your boys the fullness of God's word, to demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? And do you commit, lastly, to praying both for and with Mason and Logan, pleading with the Lord for their salvation? Awesome. So as I said last week, when it comes to raising children, uh, and, and most of you know this from being in the church most of your life, uh, parents have the first responsibility. But we have a responsibility and a privilege as well as the church to help, pray, and support them. And so my final question is addressed to you all. So will you agree to support Bradley and Taylor? By being faithful to pray for them, will you encourage them, love them, and support them through acts of service? Will you help teach Mason and Logan and set a godly example for them so that they might one day come to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Will you help disciple and train them so that they might live under the supreme rule of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you'll commit to do those things, will you please signify by standing? So as I said last week, just uh, know that you guys aren't alone in this. That you have a church family uh, that's supporting you the entire way. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you and we just intercede on your behalf for these precious two little boys, uh, Mason and Logan. Lord, our prayers that these two boys will love you, that they will serve you. Uh, we pray that you will help Bradley and Taylor to be the parents that will set the right example for their kids, teaching them, uh, Lord, that, that their boys would love you and serve you throughout their life. Lord, we pray for Mason and Logan. We pray, God, that you would save them. We pray, Lord, not only that you would save them, but that you would guide them, that you would protect them, and, oh, God, that you would use them, that they would grow up to be godly men who seek to, Lord, just change the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may be seated. Thank you. All right, so you guys see in the bulletin that this is a month in which we're emphasizing Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Miss Emma gave you a lot of information uh, last week. Miss Debbie Morris is going to come. She's going to share some information about an opportunity that some of you ladies have to, uh, to make something personal to put inside these boxes. Hi, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Debbie Morris. <clears throat> um, recently, Operation Christmas Child contacted... Pat Ferguson's quilt group and asked if they would make some library bags to go into the boxes. And so I thought 
why can't Northside include library bags in every box that we donate? So, um, sorry, I've never done this before. Um, so on Saturday, November 14th, Pat and I will be set up in the fellowship hall, and we're going to make as many of these bags as we possibly can in one day. Um, the part that I skipped is the kids use these bags for school supplies, and the handles are long so that they can wear them over their shoulder, and in some countries they actually carry them on their head. Um, but I would like to put one in every bag. I cannot make 100 bags, okay? 200 is Pastor Aaron's goal. So I'm setting a goal for 100 bags. If you can sew and have a machine or have experience and you would like to help me, please sign up at the table um, outside after church. If you have no experience, please sign up and come help me. We need help cutting fabric, pinning, turning things. Um, so there's lots of help for everyone. The tasks are very simple and easy for everyone to complete. Uh, if you have fabric that you would like to donate, I'm not asking anyone to purchase fabric. I personally have enough fabric right now to do 50 bags. So if you have fabric or you know someone who has fabric that's um, sitting around the house unused, like I had, then please let me know that so you could donate the fabric. I think donation of thread as well. If you um, would like to make bags but you can't come on Saturday or you would rather not come on Saturday, please see me and I'll get you a pattern or show you where online you can find a pattern so that you can make bags at home and contribute those as well. So um, this is for all the teens and adults in the church. We're not going to have children there because of all the hot irons and the sharp scissors and the, the things that we're going to have. Um, so come out November 14th from 9 to 2 in the fellowship hall. But I'll be at a table outside after church with Pat to answer any questions you have. Please come and sign up. I need to know how many people are going to be there. I hope to have at least one assembly line, maybe two or three assembly lines, depending on how many people sign up, so that we can get as many of these bags made. The bags are due on the 15th, so we're going to do these on the 14th, and all the bags that are here, hopefully we'll be able to put a bag in each one. Thanks. Get involved and do that. If you're not really familiar with what Operation Christmas Child uh, is all about, we have a video. Check that out. And after the video, uh, Curtis, you'll come and we'll continue to worship together. The way we express the love of Jesus Christ and the passion that he had is that we go out there and we serve others. We go to the out-of-bound places, the ends of the earth. The world is changing, but the gospel doesn't change. The message of the cross doesn't change. We're going to make every effort to share the gospel. The world has been decimated by COVID-19, but the work here at Samaritan's Purse, it never stops. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do it through Operation Christmas Child. It's a platform that God has given Samaritan's Purse to share the gospel more than 10 million times every year. Jesus loves you. The wonderment of it is that the child's encounter is not with material things. By faith, the encounter is with things unseen, and they're receiving that for the very first time. From the shoebox to the greatest journey, this is the great commission. During this pandemic, during all the fear that COVID-19 has brought to the world, this is when we go out and share the truth. Jesus said, go into the world 
and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a job to do. This is what these shoe boxes are all about, going out in the heart of this darkness, the heart of this virus, to go out in the bring of hope of Jesus Christ around the world. Is there a sense of urgency? Yes, there is. Because there's kids out there without the knowledge and the hope of Jesus Christ. Get out there to be a part of this. Right now, it's the time. Give you praise. And give you praise. For great is thy faithfulness. You're our creator, our life sustainer, deliverer, our comfort, our joy. Throughout the ages, you've been. With signs and wonders, join us, guys. With signs and wonders, you've shown your power. With precious blood. With precious blood, 
You showed us your grace. You've been our helper. You've been our liberator. Oh, the giver of life with no Give you praise. For great is thy faithfulness. When we walk through life's darkest valleys, we will look back at all you have done and we will shout. Our God is good. the faithful one. Hallelujah, hallelujah to the one from whom all blessings flow. Hallelujah, hallelujah to the one whose glory has been shown. I still remember the day you saved me, the day I heard you call out my name. You said you loved me and you never leave, and I've never been the thy faithfulness so great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness thy
please remain standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just a reminder that we do have Children's Church for those second grade and under. If you would like to go be a part of that. We're in 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. And this is the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You may be seated. I assume that the majority of us have... Uh, been on an airplane before. Uh, Some of you guys fly airplanes. Uh, That's what you get to do for a living. And so we're we're all familiar. Uh, At some point we know as we near our destination, someone's going to come on the the speaker and say, ladies and gentlemen, or something to this effect, we have begun our descent into Atlanta. And so you know that you've got to be ready because they're getting ready to land the plane. Uh, As we come to 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 through 5, uh, John is preparing to land the plane, so to speak. Um, and so we'll, we'll finish out the series of 1 John probably by the end of November, uh, just working through it slowly, um, five or six verses at a time. And so what we're going to see today is nothing really new. As John begins to land the plane, he circles back to something he's already talked about several times. And what I want you to see today Um, is he talks about these three tests again, a doctrinal test, a moral test, a social test. These tests show the genuineness of a person's faith, a belief in Jesus Christ. I want you to see that these are woven together. This is not a buffet that you can come to and pick and choose what you want. So you can't say, well, I want to keep these commandments, but not these. I want to love this person, but not that person. I want to believe this about Jesus, but I don't want to believe this about Jesus. No, when you come... And you believe in Jesus Christ, John is clear that these three tests are woven together. And we're going to look at those three tests just briefly again uh, this morning. But before we do that, I want to point out a really important phrase, again, that's not new. This is John landing the plane, and he's coming back to these ideas because it's really important for us to understand how they work together. And that idea is being born of God. So notice number one this morning, that the new birth is the starting point of our relationship with God. We begin there in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been, here's that language, born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Drop down to verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So we know that each and every one of us, we were born physically. And when you're born physically, you are born into a family. You have a biological mother and a father. You're born into a family. You also are born, whether you like it or not, with some characteristics of your parents. Uh, Maybe some physical characteristics. You'll pick up some other things uh, as you get older, right? But you're born into a family and you look somewhat similar to your 
parents. When we think of the new birth, we need to understand that this is a supernatural event. We're not talking about a physical birth here. We're talking about a supernatural event that only God can give. Look at the language. That he is born of God. This is something God gives to us. This is something that happens supernaturally. And when we are born again, right, the Spirit of God begins to indwell us. Right? We're, we begin to be changed. We see this significance in John, John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus is very clear. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Church, we needed new life. Because the scripture teaches us that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And I've said this before, a dead corpse can't do anything. We were dead spiritually, apart from God, not seeking God. No one would ever seek God. We needed God to give us new life. And this new life means everything to the believer. We are born again. The Spirit of God begins to indwell us. And what happens at that moment is we are taken out of the sphere of the world where Satan rules and we are moved into the kingdom of God where we are now part of the family of God. The new birth means everything. And as John is, begin to, is going to begin to talk about some of these characteristics, you need to understand these cannot be in your life apart from the new birth of Jesus Christ in your life. Which also means this, if you have been born again, these characteristics need to be a part of your life because you have been born again. So we notice, right, the new birth is the starting point of our relationship with God. It begins with this new birth. Have you been born again? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins, turned to God? If you have, you've been born again. You've been born into the family of God. And we ought to resemble what children of God are to look like, which leads us to the second point. And that is this, the characteristics of the one who is born again. Church, if we have been born again, which means the Spirit of God is now in us and we have spiritual life, there ought to be signs that you are alive spiritually. We ought to be able to look. You ought to be able to look at your own life. Your Sunday school teacher ought to be able to look at your life. Your friends ought to be able to look at your life and see signs or evidences that you have been born again. What are those? Well, we're going to look at three of them. Belief, love, and obedience. Again, these are really just the three tests he's given us. This doctrinal test, a moral test, and a social test. And so let me, let me show you these three things. And I just want you to ask yourself this morning, are these things evidenced in my life? So here's number one, faith in Jesus Christ. Through the new birth, you now have a relationship with Christ. And you have faith in Jesus. Look what he says in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And then he says in verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Right? There is a faith, he says in verse 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, hear me, it is not a faith. It is not a faith in anything or anyone. It is a specific faith in which Jesus is the object of that faith. 
And what you believe about Jesus matters significantly. And John says, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the one that the Old Testament spoke of, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He says, you also must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, not the first time John has said this, probably the third or fourth time he has said this. You must believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was crucified upon the cross, raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that Jesus is the Son of God. If you don't believe those things, then you are not born again because you have put your faith in the wrong object. You can't pick and choose what you want to believe about Jesus. And you and I need to keep, hear me, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Any of y'all ever played golf before? Some of you are probably a whole lot better than me, right? You step up there into the tee box, you, you get your ball teed up, you got probably three other people in your group watching you, maybe you're playing at a scramble, all kinds of people have gathered around that tee watching you and you step up, you take a couple practice swings, right? All of a sudden you go back and you swing and you miss the ball. Ever happened to you? Man, that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to hit the ball 10 yards. It's more embarrassing just to swing and miss. What happens when you swing and miss? You took your eye off the what? The ball. Church, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we will swing and miss every single time. We will always be led astray if we take our eyes off of Jesus. Faith that overcomes is only faith that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen to what John says, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So if you've been born again, John says you're an overcomer. You've overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Here's the victory. Our faith. Our faith is the victory. But hear me. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that gives victory. That's what he said. Who is it that overcomes the world except one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? According to John, faith in Jesus Christ is the victory. And through Jesus Christ, we have overcome the world. Amen? We've overcome the world. The world did everything they could to eliminate Jesus Christ. And it failed. They nailed him to a cross. But after the cross comes the resurrection. They openly mocked him and publicly shamed him. But after shame came glory. Jesus Christ conquered death. He paid for our sin. He defeated the enemy. If you have been born of God, then you have overcome the world. Believers in Christ are victors. We are conquerors. Sin does not master us. Death can't hold us. Satan can't defeat us. Why? We just sang about it. Victory in Jesus. Our victory belongs to the Lord and we belong to Him. So how does the new birth change your life? Well, because of the new birth, because there is now life, spiritual life within you, you continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, and our Savior. Jesus is our victory. Church, I have one beat that I play over and over and over as your pastor. And his name is Jesus. That's all I got for you. Every Sunday, man, I'm just going to give you Jesus. 
elections on Tuesday. You know my message for you today? It's Jesus is victorious. You know what my message is going to be next Sunday, regardless of who wins? Jesus is victorious. That's all I got for you. That's all I got. And John says, he has overcome the world. And if your faith is in Jesus, then the world ought to see that faith, and they ought to see that you are an overcomer because there's signs of life in you. Here's the second sign, love for others. So not only do we have a relationship with Christ now through the new birth, but also through the new birth, we have a new relationship to one another. Again, this isn't new. John is repeating as he's seeking to end the book, beginning in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. He says before that in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. When you are born of God, you are born into the family of God. And so those, this is an important argument here, those who love God will love the children of God. Listen, if a person loves and respects a father, he will also love that father's children. If you come up to me and say, hey, pastor, I want you to know I love you and I really like your wife, but I can't stand your kids. You know what I'm going to say to you? I'm not going to say amen, <laughs> though my youngest wasn't feeling it up here singing. Uh, but, but you know what I'm going to say to you? You don't love me because if you loved me, you would love my family. For us to say we love God the Father means we will love God's children. And we are His children. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. God's intention is to love the people in this room through the people who are in this room. Which means two things. Number one, it means you need to love the people in this room. These are your brothers and sisters. This is family. This is family. I've got a biological mom and dad in Kentucky whom I love dearly. You are just as much my family because we are an eternal family. And I praise God that my mom and dad are also a part of the family of God. So they're also my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's pretty cool in the family of God. So you need to love the other people in this room. But there's a second thing that means. You need to let the people in this room love on you. Some of us are better at loving others. But when it comes to allowing people to love us and to be in our lives, we're good. I don't need anything. I'm fine. Everything is okay. But hear me. If you have a need in your life, a physical need, an emotional need, a spiritual need, whatever it may be, you need to let your family into your life so they can help you. So how well are you loving the brothers and sisters? And how well are you allowing the brothers and sisters to love on you? God's intention is to love the people in this room through the people in this room. So because of the new birth, because of this life within us, we are now born into the family of God. And we have an opportunity and a joy to love on the people of God. So you've been born again. There ought to be a sign of that. 
And that sign is you are loving on the body of Christ. Perfectly? Probably not. But consistently, we can see you're loving on the body of Christ. And then there is a third sign of life. And that is this, obedience to God's commandments. He says in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Loving the children starts by loving God. You must love God first, and then out of that you will love the children. When we love God and obey His commandments. Whose commandments are they? His. They are God's commandments. This is His Word, His will, His way, His precepts, His testimonies. It's His. It's not mine. It's not yours. It wasn't Moses' commandments. It's not Paul's opinion. This is God's Word, His commandments, and He has given them to us. John Stott says, Love for God is not an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. R.C. Sproul says, Our love for God is not simply a feeling. It must express itself in obedience to His commandments. John says, God has given us His commandments. We are to follow them. That's not a new idea or teaching in John. But then he says something that is really important. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, verse 3, and His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not heavy. William Barclay tells the story about a young boy he was walking to school. This was before the yellow buses. He's walking to school, and this man noticed this young boy carrying something on his back. And he realized it was a smaller young boy than himself. And he was carrying him on his back. And so the person shouts to this young boy, and he says, Do you carry him to school every day? This young boy says, Yes, I do. And the man said, that must be a heavy burden for you to carry. And the young boy said, no, sir, he's not a heavy burden. He's my brother. He's my brother. Church, hear me. God's commandments, his precepts, his word, his law, it's not a burden. Hear me. God's commandments are better. They're better. Following his commandments leads to a better life. It leads to a more satisfying life, a more fruitful life, a life without deep regret or shame. Listen, you will find people on their deathbed who will have regrets, who will be filled with shame. And they will look back upon their life and wish they could have done that or they would have done this. What I don't believe you will ever find is someone on their deathbed who says, you know what, I wish I didn't love Jesus as much as I did. I wish I wouldn't have poured my life into the church the way I did. If I could go back, I wouldn't go to church at all. I wouldn't love Jesus. I wouldn't love the people of God. No one is going to get to the end of their life when they have followed the commandments of God and say, I wish I could have done it differently. Following the commandments of God is a life that is more valuable to others, and it's an honorable life. Look, I know teenagers, you guys don't like to follow your parents' commandments. You may find it burdensome, but what you will come to understand with time and age is that every command, every rule they gave you was really for your good. It wasn't to hurt you or to harm you or to steal your joy. It was to protect you. God the Father gives us these commands because they're for our good. They're not a burden. 
So let me ask you this question. When do we find God's commands to be a burden? John says they're not, but yet there may be a time in our life where we look at God's commands and we feel they are a burden. When does that happen? Let me tell you when it happens. We find God's commandments to be burdensome when they go against our sinful cravings. We find God's commandments to be a burden when we would rather be doing something else than following God's commandments. Let's just consider one, very briefly. Let's consider the fourth commandment, which is to remember the Sabbath day. Right, so here we are, where the church, just as the early church did, they would gather and worship on Sunday, so here we are, worshiping on Sunday. Can I tell you something? This isn't a burden to me. It's not burdensome for me to be here, to watch our kids sing, to hear the choir sing, to just worship Jesus with my family. Now, I know I'm paid to be here, so that maybe doesn't hold up as well as others. But I have a feeling that if we went around the room and you stood up, you would say, this is not a burden. I enjoy being in the house of God. I enjoy worshiping Jesus. I enjoy encouraging my brothers and sisters. Do you know when this becomes a burden? when you would rather be somewhere else. It's only a pain to go to church when you would rather be on the baseball field. It's only a pain to go to church when you would rather sleep in. And today you got that extra hour, so you couldn't use that as an excuse, right? It's only a burden to come to church when you would rather be shopping or you would rather be doing something else. When you find joy in doing what God has called you to do, it's never a burden, but rather you find delight. And I'm speaking to the choir, but there may be some of you watching us online right now, right? And your attendance is inconsistent, and church has become a burden because you would rather be doing something else. Here's what Romans 12, 2 says about the will of God. It is good, acceptable, and perfect. You can't beat perfect. So God's word, man, it's not a burden. It's a joy. And Colin Cruz writes, those who have been born of God have overcome the worldly tendency to satisfy their own sinful cravings. See, here's what's so fantastic about the new birth. The new birth changes us. The new nature now gives us the power to obey. Look, God's word becomes a burden if you can't keep it. Like if you constantly see these commandments and you are unable to keep them, that would be burdensome. But through the new birth, you now have a desire and the ability through the Spirit of God to keep His law and His commandments. We go from being unwilling to obey God or partially obeying God or grudgingly obeying God. Well, here I am, God. I showed up to church, right? And then the Spirit of God begins to transform us. And now we willingly, totally, joyfully begin to obey God. So because of the new birth, because of the life of God within us, we now have the possibility of obeying God's commands. And hear me, we can say with the psalmist, I delight in the law of God. I delight in the commandments of God. So let me land the plane this morning. Years ago, the medical field came out with a score to quickly evaluate a newborn baby's health. Right? It's called the APGAR score. So within five minutes, 
right? Nurses, doctors, they are trained, they learn this, so they can immediately tell if a newborn baby needs a little bit more care or emergent care, or they can, they can tell that. And they're looking for different things. They're looking at skin color. They're looking at heart rate, the reflexes of the newborn baby, muscle tone, the breathing rate. And so based upon this score, right, they can add up to figure, figure out the, the health of the baby, right? There, there's life there. They can immediately tell if there's life, but then they figure out, okay, how healthy is this baby? Listen, as we do some examination of our own hearts this morning, right, we, we, we need to take some score. If we claim to have new life in Jesus Christ, are there signs of that life? Are there signs? Do you believe, are you continuing to believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Is your faith in Jesus growing or has it become stagnant? Do you love the brothers and the sisters in Christ? And is that love growing? Is it evident that you belong to Jesus? And do you find yourself having a greater desire to love the Word of God? Church, Tuesday is going to be an interesting day one way or another. And no matter what happens, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes, we're going to gather at this same time next Sunday. And a lot may change. Very little may change. The person you vote for may win. The person you vote for may lose. But when we gather back together next Sunday, you know what we're still called to do? We're still called to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. And we are still called to love on our brothers and sisters. And we are still called to follow the will of God and keep his commandments. A lot may change Tuesday, but what happens Tuesday won't impact any of what John just told us about in 1 John chapter 5. This is our call. This is what we are commanded to do in a world that may embrace us or in a world that may hate us. We have the same marching orders. Do you have spiritual life? And is there signs of that spiritual life in you. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, but I want you to know that there is hope in the name of Jesus. That I'm just not saying, saying words. words. And John just wasn't saying words when he said that we have overcome. And so this morning, if you're looking for victory, but I want to tell you victory is in the name of Jesus. And I'm just going to ask you to confess your sins, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and to take hold and to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. And if you know this morning through the preaching of the Word of God, through the singing, you realize for the first time that you need a relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to either see me or Pastor BJ on your way out and and let us know, hey, I, I, I need to know more about Jesus. If you are a brother or a sister in Christ who's hurting, and you need somebody to pray for you or encourage you, would you please let the body of Christ love on you and encourage you? If you have been born again and you're, and you're just looking at your life and examining your heart and saying, look, I'm not showing signs of life, will you just confess that to God? Will you repent of that? Will you turn from that in church? Will you just right now in this moment, would you just cry out to God and say, God, no matter what happens this week, I want to be a child of God who is focused on believing in your son, loving my brothers and sisters, and holding fast 
to your word and to your commandments. Father God, I don't know what will take place in these next seven days. Lord, as we gather next Sunday, we're going to come with hearts filled with thanksgiving. We're going to, Lord, celebrate a a Thanksgiving lunch. And Lord, the weather at this point looks beautiful for next week. And we pray that will continue. And and Lord, we're we're just going to come together and we're going to celebrate. Lord, I pray this week. Oh God, how I pray this week that what a lost world sees is the body of Christ giving signs and evidence that we belong to King Jesus. That whether the person we vote for wins or loses, man, this week, that a lost world will just take note that we as Christians, we're going to hold fast to Jesus. Nothing will take that away from us. And we're going to keep proclaiming the name of Jesus, and we're going to keep loving on our neighbor and loving on our brothers. And man, God, we're going to keep holding fast to the word of God, even if that means persecution may come our way. Lord Jesus, your church is alive. And you said that that you were going to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that your church, which has shown signs of being dead here recently, Lord, would just come alive. And Lord, there are a lot of churches around the world that are dying. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you revive them Give them life. Help them to return to their focus. If they've taken their eye off of you, Jesus, would you forgive them, restore them, continue to use them? Lord Jesus, you're doing great things here at Northside. I can see it. I see the evidence all around. Lord God, would you continue to do it? And Lord, as you're moving, we know that that means Satan is going to put in some overtime. So God, we thank you that Jesus Christ you have overcome. And we can walk in that victory this week. And we can walk in confidence because our hope, our faith is in Jesus. We thank you for that, Father. And help us to be a people who exalt you and love you. And Lord, help us to be a people who just love each other. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you. And there's a lot of information here in our bulletin. We got a Sunday school leaders meeting at four o'clock in the fellowship hall. Uh, we, you can sign up to serve with Operation Christmas Child, whether it's through making those bags or actually going to uh, the processing center. That information is there. We got our Thanksgiving celebration next Sunday. Um, all, all sorts of things in there. But let me point out to you and remind you that if you have not signed up yet for our 24 hours of prayer on Tuesday, that sign up sheet is out there. Robin said last week that all the food we needed for next Sunday, right off the bat, when everybody left, man, we signed up for enough food. I probably still got 20 slots out there where I need somebody to pray. And I know praying may be more challenging than just cooking a meal or throwing down some food. But church, I believe you got to be a people who pray. So if you didn't sign up last week, would you please sign up on your way out? Just commit for one hour on Tuesday just to pray. There's a a guide there that will help you, some scripture for you to read. Let me encourage you to do that, and let's be a church who is praying on Tuesday and trusting in God. Mr. Kerry Beard is the deacon of the week. Kerry, where are you at? Back there. Come on, Kerry, if you'll come up here. uh, Dismiss us with a word of prayer. While you're coming, uh, let me point out um, that Ms. Pam Clark who is sitting over there, Pam and her husband Richard, are going to be relocating to Texas. 
Um, and so this is probably, they, she may be here next week, but she wasn't sure. So we, definitively we know uh, she knew she was going to be here this morning. And so Miss Pam, uh, they're going to relocate. She's a member of our church, a sister in Christ. And so we just want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. And so church, if you'll just commit to praying for them as they make that transition to Texas over the next couple weeks. If you'll stand, Carrie, would you close us with a word of prayer? <clears throat> 